Hey everyone, Mike Venezia with Music Cover to Covered here, here with part two of our interview with Cult Stars from Mars. And the reason why there had to be two parts is because, again, we talked about so much and covered so much ground and laughed so much, but also learned a lot along the way. It sounds like a like an after-school special. But anyway, there was a lot going on, so I had to break this up into two parts. And in this part, we're going to be talking about Cult Stars from Mars, the singles that they've been recording, some tributes that they've done to Fallen Friends, and then we're also going to go back and talk about the 20th anniversary of the Fuzz Bubble debut album and a bit about their memories from when they recorded it around that time and a bunch of things that happened all around that release. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to kick you off with the first single from Cult Stars from Mars. We did play it last episode, but I, I like the song, so I'm going to play it again. This is Dragonfly Part 2.
All right, the super sounds of the cult stars from Mars. That was Dragonfly Part 2. I know that we're sort of like jumping a little bit. We're skipping a bunch of years and we're going right to what's happening now. And that's because I want to get to that and sort of like work everything that came before it back into it's going to loop itself around. So um, cult stars from Mars, you guys came together this year during uh, what's obviously happening right now all across the country. And that's this crazy pandemic when we're all quarantined. And, you know, as we record this, uh, you know, the, the news is getting worse and worse. There's more and more cases. We're coming up to where there's 180,000 people a day that are being diagnosed with this in the country, a higher category where they're closing things again. So, but one good thing that came out of all of this is that guitars came back music came back and i say specifically guitars because the death of the guitar the the death bell of guitar was rang about three years ago and now it's more popular than ever and that's because once everything shut down everybody said you know what i'm going to have all this time i want to do things that maybe i didn't have time to normally do or maybe start to do the things i never did before and a lot of it was music centric so you have everybody that was you know either beginner players or hobbyists that are really picking it up again but one thing that i have seen and you guys seem to have latched on to there are several professional musicians that are doing this doing these collaborations from a distance now again as yeah. i mentioned before you know jim you live you live in huntington beach Jason, you live in Arizona, Mark, you live in New York, you know, and yet you're still able to produce that song and others like it, like I just played at a distance. So what was the real inspiration? I mean, obviously having not a whole lot else to do in our normal lives because we're all shut down, that might be an impetus behind it. But what really brought all you guys back together to start doing called stars from Mars? Uh, I, I think for me, it kind of started with, uh, you know, well, we've maintained friendships throughout all the years and, uh, all, all, you know, over the whole time we've been together. And, um, again, like, like the guys said in the beginning, we've been talking about working together forever and ever because we really do miss working with each other. Um, but I remember Jimmy like sending me a text right at the beginning of like March of this year. And he's like, Hey, did you, you know, did you hear this new licorice quartet single? which, uh, if you don't know, is the spilt milk lineup of Jellyfish, so, minus Andy Sturmer. Right. So these guys put, put out some new material. Very exciting. We're all big Jellyfish fans. And uh, so it's uh, Tim Smith, Roger Joseph Manning Jr., and Eric Dover. And so Jimmy's like, you got to hear this song. So, of course, I'm excited. I listened to it. It's great. Uh, start going down the rabbit hole of seeing what they're doing and, you know, what they're going to be releasing. And I'm really struck by the fact that they say, you know, Tim's living in Atlanta and, you know, Roger's in LA, Eric's in LA, but, you know, they're all in different projects, but they've just been putting this together and, you know, working remotely for whatever set amount of time. And that for me really was like, did two things. It reminded me of the music that was kind of indicative of Fuzzbubble. And Jellyfish was a big influence on all of us back then. Yeah. So hearing yeah. that type of music again was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, I love this stuff. And then secondly, yeah, you know what? There really is no excuse. People can work remotely in this day and age. Right. So 
I don't remember who started the conversation. Oh, Jimmy. After we were going back and forth saying we should do something like this, Jimmy sent Mark and I uh, an email that basically said, guys, here's the new song. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, there was no talk of Cult Stars from Mars or anything like that. He was just like, you know, here's the new song we're going to do together. And it was Dragonfly Part 2, which made perfect sense. You know, because of, you know, it's, it's the, we're picking up where we left off. And so, so that's it from, you know, from my point of view. And then, you know, Jimmy or Mark, you guys could pick it up from there, but that's pretty much how it started for me. It was the lighthouse spaceship, the single from licorice quartet, Yeah, what a song really being is. excited yeah. about hearing that being reminded again of those influences and that type of music and hearing it today, you know, it wasn't just listening to belly button again or spilt milk again. It was like, no, it's music like that, but being released today and people were eating it up, you know? Right, so yeah. uh, a lot of people were excited about that. Uh, yeah. It's amazing. You know, we talked about, well, you should do some music and I'm like, okay. And once I've been for, nudging you guys for over the years, like, I know, Jenny, and we, and we have done Jimmy. stuff like, you know, so this was like for this to happen. I'm like, fucking finally, man. You know? Yeah. yeah. That's it, true. It, we did do it. We did do a couple of songs about around we 2012. Did. Um, and, you know, everybody got busy with their stuff. I got busy with, you know, my band I had and that other stuff. And, you know, I kind of get into head spaces where I'm like, I'm not in that headspace right now of writing that kind of music because I'm concentrating on Tikiaki at the time. So I kind of went deep. I, I, I kind of get really, I've always been really obsessive. Like I get into one thing and I just become single, super single-minded about it. Like when I got into Kiss, it was all about Kiss. When I got into Rush, it was all about Rush. When I got into whatever it is I get into, when I got into Jellyfish, it was like all in on everything. So it's just a weird thing where you just, you're on a track and if like something bumps you onto that other track, then you get on that track. So I was like, okay, well, yeah, let's, that song is really cool. I, I always loved working with this band and I was always bummed that we were never in the same, you know, area code, let alone zip code. Um, and I was like, well, you know, we can't really do a band, but now, now we can't, nobody could do a band. So I thought, all right, well, let me see what I got. And I sat down and wrote that song and it was, went pretty quick, you know, I was like, let me go right back to the, like the source of what fuzz bubble was. Which is like, don't let it get you down in those really super just direct Beatle type of songs. And it came out pretty quick. And they liked it. And then we were like, okay. And then that was that. And it just snowballed. It was like a very big snowball very fast. So, yeah, I, we've, we had done it before. We recorded that Kiss song uh, that we put that's on a seven-inch single with a, uh, another Germ, a German band. We did a split seven-inch with them. Which, uh, which, which Kiss song was it? We did Let Me Know from the first album. Great song. You know, one of those songs that no one talks about, Kiss fans, really. You know, it's not Detroit Rock City. It's one of those great album deep cuts, you know. Really good song. And... We recorded Regretfully Yours, which was the second single we did as Cult Stars. We did a version of it back then. And when we started doing this again, I said, we should like rework that, you know, just maybe redo it. It was already done. So we could use that song. So Mark's like, I want to redo the vocals. Like, okay, I'll remix it. And Yeah, because over the years you were sending me stuff. You were like, oh, just put vocals on this. And I would give you something. But it was very minimal, sporadic. And uh, 
you know. Right. I did a commercial, Wendy's commercial um, with yeah. Mark, did the vocal on, and we both made a lot of money on that. Um, and that was fun. That was literally just, I recorded the 32nd bed, and I said, here's the, it, it was their song. It was their jingle. I said, just sing the jingle like this. You know, they wanted more instruments in it and I ended up getting like five different commercial spots out of that. So over the years, I've, I'll, I'll, if I need a vocal and I know it's not something I can do, like, okay, I need a real singer on this particular song. So I got Mark to do it. And over the years, I've had things like that where I'll send it to Mark and say, hey, man, throw a vocal on this real quick. You know, it's like, yeah, no problem. He turns around in a day. And I send it off to the client and, you know, a lot of the times it doesn't get used. Sometimes it does, you know, that was one of those lucky instances, the Wendy's spot. Mailbox so. money. Those are the two yeah. words that are the most important to musicians if they're not but it actively was, it was crazy. A lot of mailbox money. It was a lot fucking, of mailbox you know, money. Watching the Jets game, uh, and, you know, and fucking hearing the commercial and being like, holy shit. Yeah. It was, you know, yeah. It was, and, you know, you wish, man, if I could just get, I don't have to get all of them, just one a year. Uh, you know, I don't have to have a mansion. It would just be nice to be able to buy a house. If yeah, one of those uh, a year, I'd be able to buy a house in California. You know what I mean? But, you know, that was the only time I they did a different commercial. I submitted for it, and it was like, boom, you're out. You know, and that was that. You know, it's, you never guaranteed a gig in that commercial jingle business, you know. And Mark, like when you're watching a Jets game, which my condolences, I'm a Jets fan as well. Uh, you know, uh, you know, you're watching and you're like, well, at least something good happened in the game. I made money. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, no, yeah. I mean, I, I'd be on the couch watching the play. It was like a Jets play. You know, I think they were in playoffs at the time, whatever. It was 2010. Oh, so they were you okay know? then. Yes. That was when we had an okay team. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, I did this fucking vocal in my underwear in my basement and I'm hearing it on TV. <laughs> but I'm like, this is fucking crazy. And the checks are coming. I'm like, how does this happen? It's, you know, it's all, it's like throwing spaghetti at the wall. We lucked out with that one, man. Yeah, hey, honey, very... honey, this is the song I recorded with a dildo in my ass. Check it out. We yeah. just made five grand. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Ma! Ma! <laughs> <laughs> Meatloaf. <laughs> Meatloaf. <laughs> oh God. Okay. Uh, yeah, you know, like I said, one of those a year, and I'd be a happy man. I'd be able yeah. to not worry. You know. I think all but, of it. You know. Would. Now I'm back to worrying. Yeah. yeah. So Jay's the only one that's done that, all of those commercials. Jay's done now, crap tons of commercials. Now, now, listen. Now that there are you know, notable clients listening and they know that Mark records this stuff in his underwear. Watch the jobs will come rolling in. Just watch. <laughs> All, you know, I'm, I'm sure my listener will, will be thrilled knowing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He will yeah. Like, yeah. She, she's, I'm, she's all about it. That's <laughs> your mom. Um, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. That's your mom. Who's, who's probably going, Oh, I got lost when he talked about dildos again, Mike, what's wrong yeah. with your filthy again. fucking mouth? Yeah, exactly. So, Jeez. you know, my mom, Good God, you know, it's funny. I was yes. telling my mother, I'm like, yeah, I'm doing this podcast on Saturday and you can hear it when you, cause she's coming out to visit me next week. And I'm like, you're Oh, Jason, your friend from, yeah, I remember Jason. You're a very nice boy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no Thank wrong. Jason, you, you got it. Wrong. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say so long Island. So that doesn't make sense. So cult stars from Mars comes back. Well, actually Fuzzbubble comes back in the incarnation as cult stars from Mars. Whatever, whatever definition you want. You well, want to, we were saying that you know. now that it's kind of like a modern thing and it was going to be a different kind of setup with the way we were doing things. We, we went back and forth because we're like, listen, we actually have a 
not a ton, but a bit of equity in the band name. But at the same token, yeah, right. We were like, I don't know. It's like, like, wow, those guys 25 years later or whatever, you know? So, yeah. yeah, So I don't know. And then we're like, we said like, you know, Brett wasn't going to like formally be in the project, but there's no bad blood. So we didn't want to be like, you know, people like, Oh, how come Brett's not in the band anymore? It's like, you kicked him out. He left. It's like, no, nah, it's a different thing. So we just kind of started going down that road. And then I had the idea. I was like, well, what if we named the project after the name of a fuzz bubble song? And if you, you know, again, like you said, <laughs> for the 15 people that knew who we were, if you, right. if you could catch on, you'd be like, Hey, that's the, I know that name. So I threw around like zero superstar and a couple of other names or whatever, but yeah. Cult Stars from Mars was like, oh yeah, it's actually kind of cool. And uh, I pitched it to these guys and they liked it. And yeah, then uh, great idea. also coming out of the Licorice Quartet thing, to go back for a second, because it does tie into kind of like the, the plan we came up with. I was really excited that they released a single and I was like, oh, I can't wait to hear this album. And then digging digging a little bit, I found out they were going to release like a four song EP. So I'm like, ah, oh, that I'm kind of bummed about that. I want, you know, I want 12 new songs. And then I found out that they were like, no, well, we have an album's worth of material, but everyone's got short attention spans. So we're going to stagger the releases and we're going to put out like three EPs kind of back to back. I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. And then, so again, we were talking about, well, what are we going to do if there's no band, we're like, you know, playing gigs, we're not on the road or anything like that. How are we going to do this? So he said, well, what if we did like a couple of singles or just release a single a month? And I had the idea because uh, podcasts are so big right now. And I said, well, what if we did a podcast that's kind of like a liner notes for each single? And we'll do a podcast and a single a month. And, you know, we could commit to that even with everyone working and, you know, everyday life, even though it's kind of on hold. There's still stuff to tend to family and work and stuff. We could commit to a month, you know, one song a month, one podcast a month. So that was it. And, you know, we I think I got to look at my calendar. We were like five singles, five months into this. Yeah, we're about like to that. do number six. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, so that's it. I mean, you know, and yeah, it wasn't like, again, like we were going to make a record and release it and then support it the way, you know, we would in the past. And And again, also the other thing is a lot of these things – didn't exist even when we were talking about it even like go back to like what you guys were saying in like 2010 when you were doing the commercial um you know the, the streaming services the podcasts you know Nothing. there's so many more I mean, yeah so, there's so there's different yeah, yeah so many more outlets to get stuff out there without a label or without yep. anything we were like well fuck it there's no excuse just you know, put exactly. the material out. To do these fucking videos that we're doing. It's insane. You know, we have total control. It's like, you know, we could have never dreamed of the shit in the fucking past when we were on, you know, on the, uh, you know, the label, you know, it's just, it's, right. it's, it's, it's a cool, uh, uh, total, uh, sense of control to do what we want and stuff. And, and we're just, you know, we're just doing it for ourselves and the few people that are, are, are you know, that appreciate it and that know a fuzz bubble and, uh, if it can, you know, you know, we could dribble this onto other people. It's cool, but yeah, you know, we're doing this for ourselves, man. Like I and said, then, I'm, I'm so also, happy. You know, also to and then to Jimmy's credit, and I'll let him tell the story. But so as this all unfolds, that the world goes on lockdown, 
you know, Jimmy then has the idea of like, well, everybody's on lockdown. So I could reach out to people like Mike Portnoy and other special guests to play on stuff. And then I'm like, all right, cool. So I'll let Jimmy take that part. But, you know, again, everyone's on lockdown. So that means everybody's hungry to collaborate. Everyone's available. Yeah. And by the way, before Jimmy, before Jimmy tells that story, you know, something that you brought up, Jay and and Mark as well, like not being able to do this, you know, 10 years ago, this technology really didn't exist. Right now, for anybody who's listening, I'm looking at the three of them as we're all talking. I'm sorry. It's all happening. I know. It's it's kind of disgusting, actually. But uh, for them, not I for love, me. For I me, I see three handsome gentlemen. I see three yeah. handsome gentlemen. Yeah, I, and right. they're, they're seeing one really disgusting Cretan wearing a Hall & Oates shirt designed after a Metallica t-shirt. So oh, um, I didn't realize that. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> Yeah, this it's, I love it's that new cool shirt day. It's 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 man. Oh, that's great. Um, oh, that's fantastic. So, anyway, the the thing of it is, is that what I'm doing now with these guys, being able to look at all three of them and the technology that I have in front of me and and all this stuff, it took me literally 30 minutes to set all this up today to get it going. Yeah, and the technology crazy. exists and I get a seven day free trial to record as much as I want, you know, and do all this stuff. 10 years ago, the yeah. equipment that I have and everything that they have, we're talking like a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. It's a TV you know? station. Yeah. Totally. Technology, baby. Yeah. Come on. Right. Yeah. You know, so yeah. being able to do this now and the fact that it took something like the pandemic for people to buy into it or to get on board with it is kind of sad when you think about it in a way, but it, but yeah. you know, like Jay, like you're saying, you know, we're all working, we're all doing our thing, you know, like we're, we're all busy, you know, we're, we're trying to do, you know, you guys are trying to do one song a month, even with still being busy through the pandemic. But if imagine if you were working, I mean, you know, people have families, wives, things like that. It's, oh, yeah, it's totally. tough to do. The thing is we appreciate it a lot more now. And that, I, and I, as as a music fan, really appreciate it seeing you guys do it. I mean, you know, when 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 you know, I heard about this, you know, when I heard about Dragonfly Part Two, I listened to it, and you know what? I sent it to ten of my friends immediately. Thank you, because Thank you. you know, yeah. it, it, not Thank only you. is the song great, but just to be like, look, this is what you can do when you're isolated like this. They're taking advantage of it. What the fuck is wrong with you? Take advantage of this. <laughs> You know, these yeah. guys are taking advantage of it. And by the way, it sounds as fresh as a fucking daisy. It's amazing. I love that song. Well, and I a lot of that, it. a lot of that is Jimmy. So Jimmy, you know, he's, he's a, and I could say this cause I'm not no, Jimmy. It, he's a great songwriter, but he's also very talented at mixing stuff and all that kind of stuff. So we're, we're very all, lucky to have him. Jimmy sent the demo, demo version of that to me. And it was just like, it's done. Oh, I don't. I have to just, <laughs> fucking just sing and put a guitar to it. You know, it's, it, he like a lot of times he hands us stuff. It's just like you know, it's it, you know, it just it's there already. So yeah, um, that's how the band. That's how Fuzzbubble started. Really, it was just <clears throat> me. I, I went to recording school right before I moved to LA, and my project was to record something at the end of the. I went to yeah. Artie. You remember Artie? I remember being totally there. Exactly. Yeah. Audio recording technology. I recorded my very first time in a recording studio was at the Artie location in Farmingdale. My first band, 1980. We went in. My friend was going to the school. And he said, we we need a band to record. You want to come in? And I'm like, sure. That was my first. Jim Bernard, you know, he had, he had an injury. So he walked funny. And he was 
this kind of weird guy out of recording school. And years later, I'm like, I, I got tired of trying to, you know, spending $40 an hour and going and not getting the guitar sound I wanted. It was so frustrating. I spent so much money and I'm like, I, you know, I, I want to learn how to do this. And before I go to LA, this way I can go and have a job, you know, I can go work in a recording studio. So it started that way. We did me and Mark and the, my friend Kevin, whose studio I was working at played the drums on it. And that was the first fuzz bubble demo. And then I left and moved to LA. So it started this way. And so cult stars is basically reigniting what we did in the first place, you know? So I got right to work when the, when I remember March 13th, it's a Friday, the yep. 13th, Friday, the 13th. Friday yep. I remember going out to the store and saying, my wife, honey, we should probably go and look for toilet paper. Cause everyone's saying the shelves are cleared. And sure enough, we went out and she's like, Oh, it's fine. They had a ton last week. I'm like, let's go. And like, we couldn't find any. And I'm like, the world went into, you remember the world went into a panic mode. So, and for me, that was my panic mode. Like, okay, well, what do you do? You know, I'm going to go make some more music and maybe make some downloads and people can buy them. And and you fucking did it and you, and we're doing it. So right. uh, And so when this happened, it was like, Oh, cool. Let's do this. You know? So we jumped in with, you know, I jumped in with both feet, just writing songs. And I had all these ideas. I got inspired again. And, there you go. And the Mike Portnoy thing was really, he was, he's a fuzz bubble fan and he would always like every once or twice a year, he would post, you know, I guess his, his, uh, whenever his daughter Melody would get down, he would send her, don't let it get me. Don't let it get you down because I love that song. I love your band. And I've known Mike since the Hitman days, you know, I remember him in dream theater. So I started seeing him the last couple of years go into the metal allegiance shows they do. And, you know, my friend hooked me up. So I'd go see Mike and hang out with him. So I said, you know what? He's a fan of the band. He just posted something. Let me see. Like, I said, Jay, what do you think? I'm going to ask him to play drums and you could play something else. I said, Hey man, would you be interested in playing drums on a song? He's like, hell yeah. Send it to me. So I wrote it, sent it to him. He's like, this is great, man. Sounds like just like you left off picked up where you left off. I'm like, great. So that was, and that was a great way to launch the new project because, you know, he's got a ton of followers. He, he freaking promoted it like he does all his other stuff and super grateful to him. Cause on top of being an insanely great musician, he's a super nice person and a total music fan. So we've done a couple other things with him and it's always great to like, you know, just to hear that guy talk about music. He's got so many records. It's like, you know, it was good. So that's how that happened. I just kind of asked him, I said, Hmm, you know, why, why not? You know, and he likes the band. So yeah, he agreed to do it. It was really cool. You know, so. I, I heard, and, and for anybody who's listening, you know, you definitely want to check out the podcast from Mars with these guys, because it's really insightful as to, you know, who they are and, and how their influence and how they're, you know, what they're, what's going on in their minds as far as their working process when making, making music, but they did have Mike Portnoy on to talk about, um, talk about Dragonfly Part Two, but even more than that. And Mike was so effusive in his praise for you guys, and yeah. it, you know, but not it's only really just flattering. for you guys, for his knowledge of of power pop in general, you know, was yeah. was really admirable. I mean, you know that he was a fan. It wasn't just like, yeah, I'm doing my buds a solid. You know, he's fan right. of the genre, and and that's that speaks Absolutely, volumes. Yeah. You know, yeah. 
So it's right. more than it's just like a genre past he thing. doesn't really doesn't get that involved in. You know, the power pop genre. He doesn't do that much of it. So I think that's also for him. It's another, like he says, it's another box to check off because he loves everything. And uh, yeah, it's I for you because you do this podcast because you love talking about music. Yep. He's it's the same. You know, I'm the same way about it. He's the same way about it. He's super knowledgeable. You know, so I love watching his like going through his record collection and. That kind of stuff is always super fun. I bet if every one of us started our own podcast, we could fill fucking hours and hours and hours just what's in yeah. our heads, you know, because we're all just music, oh, no people. doubt. And you know what? Yeah. The bottom line of what you're doing, also, like it's 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 such a shitty hard time now. And the and um, you know, we we've talked about this before we sign on to these podcasts, but even when we get together, just talking with the three of us and stuff, you you feel good about talking about things that make you feel good, music and. Like, yeah. man, I feel that much better than I did an hour and a half signing on before this and stuff. That's why I'm like, let's do this next week. You know, right, but, uh, right. and, you know, and, and music is like, like you said, we could, you could talk about this fucking until the cows come home. Yeah, and right. you can, um, you can deconstruct forever. an album or a song and one exactly. podcast can be one and, song. And music know? is something that's just like, it, it'll never go away. It's always there for you. It's always going to make you feel good. And it, it's always going to make us feel good. Yeah. You know? yeah. And, man we're gonna continue you know it's so i i'm glad we're doing this this was this is cool music yeah. is one of those things that is is falsely polarizing and i say that in the sense that like yes. politic politics is very polarizing period right yeah, yeah. But music yeah. is falsely polarizing in the sense that you could not like a genre of music but you respect it you know you may not like this band but you it's respect not like it. that division that red and blue division yeah. what the fuck it's, it's, it's not it's not binary it's not binary exactly yeah it's like, okay, you like that ice cream flavor that's cool i like this yeah you know, like, right but you know you can't argue it because it's like you know i hate the fucking doors i hate fucking jim morrison thank you me too i'm, I'm, I'm with you i'm with you <laughs> I, respect, but I respect some of the songs and i like some of the songs but I, you know, whatever, you know, but it's that kind of thing. I'm the same way. Yeah. Man. I think we need to have yeah. like a running series of, you know, another week in the, in the mind of cult stars from Mars on music cover to covered. Uh, so we can just get all of this out. Shit. We should do this yeah, band yeah. sucks. And we can I'll just... do it any day. That we... I don't care. I love, it's like a I love therapy doing session, man. We don't have to pay. Yeah, right. It's therapy. Right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. The thing is the difference between therapy is that this is being recorded and I'm letting other people listen to it later on. And, oh, you know, Right. Which is fine. Yeah. Um, you know, I told Jay, I'm like, this is not going to be a 30 minute podcast. It's just not. Yeah. You know, it's four people. Yeah. It's four people yeah. that are all from Long Island. We all like to talk. We all love music. Mark is wearing a New York Islanders hat. It doesn't get much more Long Island than that. You know, we can talk about these things. We can have fun talking about these things. We can cut each other up about these things. And it's, and it's still friendly, you know, and it's fun. You know, we've all experienced different things, but we understand it. And that's the, that's what I'm trying to get through with this entire series of podcasts that I'm doing. I was going to say, I want to see what you, what you think about this. I actually, I think that I understand what you're saying about music being falsely polarizing, but I think that's more, and I don't mean this from like, um, like a snooty point of view, but I think that's more from listeners because I think if you talk to musicians, it, it, it does come across like what we're saying. Oh yeah. The influences run deep. Yeah. yeah and like yeah. Mark said, you know, he's a huge, and I could, you know, I know this of Mark personally, he's a huge Van Halen fan. 
And and I agree though. Yeah, maybe there's a couple of things here and there that peek through, but for the most part, you know, there's not a whole hell of a lot that comes, you know, out of Fuzzbubble or Cult Stars from Mars <clears throat> that sound that Mark brings David Lee Roth or Eddie Van Halen to, you know. But he's a huge, huge fan of them. But I think you know, for all the people that you have on, and like you said, you know, some of your other guests, I think musicians you know, have vast influences. Yeah, you gravitate to something that you put out or, you know, a project that you're into or a decade, a moment, you know, whatever that, you know, that's how you're expressing yourself at that time. But I mean, you know, I don't know, man. Like I said, I, I you know, for me, I was always into a lot of things and I could care less if people thought it was cool or not. No, exactly. And it's all about having that vast amount of influences that yeah. that fucking that creates your that extensifies your palate to fucking make right. better. You know, that's what it's all Absolutely. about. Absolutely. Yeah. You yeah. know, and you realize that as you get older and you're like, oh, it's OK to like this. And it's, you know, and it's right. It's like, totally. OK, I, yeah, I like pizza, but I also like Thai food. You know, you didn't eat fucking sushi when you were, you know, right. Like, and you, so, yeah. you mature and yeah, but, but the one so thing that's... you don't want though you don't want your thai food on pizza hell no right no right. that would be i don't want thai food on my sacrilege pizza. Unaccept so unacceptable yes yeah. unacceptable it, but keep it separate. <laughs> yeah. but but jay but, you're right you know with the false polarization when i say false polarization it, it's just sort of like when i talk about sports that's mm -hmm. false polarization i'm a yankee fan i hate the red Sox. right you know yeah, I'll well, never be a Red okay. Sox fan, but it doesn't mean that they're a bad team. It's just I hate them. I, you know, they're right, not right. a bad team. There's, there's, but but inherent into that is actually competition. Yeah, you know that is exactly. part of sports, so that's okay. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, co co right? Exactly. We're not. There is no competition in in our genre. So, or at yeah. least I don't think there should be, and I don't think these guys, you know. Think that no, there's either. a health, there's a healthy respect all around about it, and you're right. It's it's more on the part of the listener that's deciding yeah. what they like and what they don't like. I will say though, from a musician point of view, where there's the least polarization and most polarization, most polarization are guitar players. Least and when it be and that's you know because like you know if you think that's about the 80s and 90s, yeah. you know it was just like well I could do that better, I could play that. You know right. there was that whole thing. The least polarization. <laughs> Drummers. I have never heard one drummer say, except for with the exception of Lars Ulrich referring to him, no drummer said that drummer sucks. I've never in all the my years, I've never heard drummers put down other drummers with the exception of putting down Lars Ulrich and he does. Oh, so. I've actually <laughs> had plenty of drummers. To, I've actually had plenty of drummers tell me I suck. <laughs> well, not to your face, though. And that's the thing. You oh, know, OK. No. <laughs> All right, that's different. Never mind. Yeah. Okay, so let's uh, let's pull it back in. So, so, all right. So you're doing all this with with Mike Portnoy. Let's talk a couple of minutes about, um, you know, not your collaborations, but maybe some of your covers and tributes that be, that you're doing. You recently did a song, a Red Cross song, as a tribute to Eddie Kurzil. So, Jim, yeah. maybe maybe you want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So, well, before to, before that. I had written this song after he passed away. I wrote this song and I never kind of did anything with it. I sent it to Mark a few years about, well, a bunch of years ago, eight years ago or something. Um, he sang on it once. I just never did it. And we, we just kind of weren't doing the fuzz bubble thing anymore. 
Yeah, it was one and of those once, things, yeah. Right, we just kind of, I just kind of let it slide because I couldn't really figure out how I wanted the song, how I wanted to produce the song. I knew I wanted it to sound like a, like a Beatles "Let It Be" type of type of thing where it was really kind of raw and, but I just couldn't, I couldn't get it, so I just kind of left it. And then when we started doing this again, I said, "Hey, we should do that song." And then I looked up Ed's birthday because I knew he was going to be sixty this year. And it was September 25th. And I'm like, that'll be one of our shows. We'll do that. I'll do this song and we'll do this song. We'll do, uh, let's cover one chord progression. Cause he was involved in the writing of that. And that was really kind of a birthday. Cause you know, I still miss that guy like crazy he was such a good guy. He helped the band and he's the first guy I met from Red Cross. I became friends with him when I moved to LA and he actually played on the first fuzz bubble record, right? Yeah, he did. He produced the first, the one that got us the record deal. He produced it with, with the band, um, you know, royalty records. Uh, you know, our friend Dave R said, let's do a fuzz bubble record. And it was before Jay was in, it was still a recording project and he flew, uh, Mark and the, and Kevin Kelly, the first drummer, my friend, um, and we made this record. And he said, "Get your friend Eddie to produce it. It'll be good for the name of the band." And blah, blah blah. I was like, "Cool, I'm sure he'll do it." And he agreed to do it. And he played on it, and he did a little spoken piece on one of the songs. So we got the record deal, and you know he was having a hard time at that time. And he said, "Hey man, can I be a guitar tech? I need a job." And Red Cross was had stopped. And I said, sure, let me talk to Mike Clink. And uh, Mike said, sure, you know, bring him along if you can have him put him to work, you know. So Ed came in and so we said, I said, well, you got to play the guitar solo on Bliss. I'm not going to do it. That's yours, you know. So he came in and did it and did the great job that he always does. And, you know, and uh, about a year or two later, he died. I always lean towards being super melodic with my solos and Ed was, he did that too, but like he, he was kind of a rip it out kind of guitar player. So, and he did a great job. He brought all his stuff down and Mark, actually I found out recently Mark has his Roland space echo that he bought from him. Hold on. Oh. Wait, 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 wait. I didn't even plan to do this, but yeah, it's right here. Wow. And you know what there those things is. go for on eBay now? Like $3,000. Yeah, it's ridiculous. That's yeah. amazing. And that was Eddie's. And he I'm sure he used that on our recording because that's probably where you know he said, yeah. Hey Mark, I want to sell this. Do you want it? You know? I'm starting the bidding um, at five hundred. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't sell that thing. That's but yeah, so having Eddie was you know, I was a huge Red Cross fan moving out to LA and I didn't know him then. I only met him the one time and then by an odd chance I became friends with him and we were We'd still be, he would probably in, be in this project right now if he were alive. So since, uh, since I can't play any part of that song, <laughs> uh, for legal reasons, being that there is no such use as fair use with anything on fucking podcasts, really, unless you own it outright, uh, where could somebody hear your version of, of one chord progression? Uh, on our band camp page called stars for Mars, uh, band camp, um, and it's on there. It's called One Chord Progression. 
Is it on Spotify? Or no? I did not put it on those platforms. It's not on Spotify. Because I didn't no. want the hassle of the publishing. But yeah. There and- used to be full podcasts that just played music. Yeah. Jeff McDonald had Red Cross Radio, and he would play all these cool songs, and then... Until. Dot, dot, until, dot. yeah. yeah. So. so you've done that, um, and, and you have more songs coming out soon. When's your next, uh, when's your next podcast? When's the next one due? uh the, like the 20th <laughs> yeah, you doing you doing it next now. friday to yeah. to coincide uh, with something uh that we know of uh, a particular anniversary celebration that i'm about to bring up i mean yeah. we, we pretty much need to record our part po- out with the podcast we do we need to record like tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> well there you go see i'm sorry i took your slot I, and I apologize. No, it's okay. And I still need, I'm still waiting for the bass for the song. So, oh, and then I got to mix I, it. I and it's the guitar too. I said, yeah, you I know, know you sent me yeah. the guitar, but I'm, uh, we, I might be, no, I, I might be late on that. Yeah. It might be, it might be late, unfortunately. Okay. So what I do want to do now though, is I want to, pull things back a bit because you'll have a song to introduce like you're doing a song a month, but that's going to coincide with something very special. And that's the 20th anniversary of the fuzz bubble debut album. Yeah. And from what I understand, you guys are working on something special for this particular 20th anniversary. So, you know, while we're not going to necessarily dive super deep into the whole bad boy signing craziness, let's, you know, we could talk about the music and let's talk about, you know, what you guys are looking to do to celebrate this 20th anniversary. I want to re-release the record for the 20th anniversary digitally with the very first, the first version of the album, which was called, supposed to be called Lemonade. That's the record that got us the deal that, you know, some of those songs ended up on the Fuzzbubble record um, and some of them didn't. There's a bunch of like five or six of them at least that didn't uh, came. Some of them came out on that demos and outtakes album that uh, not lame uh, released, but so it's going to be a super bonus. It's going to be the entire first album. And then that lemonade record, which was the predecessor to it. And then we're going to release that digitally on all the platforms on the 20th. That's the 20th anniversary of the release of the first fuzz bubble record that we did with bad boy, that bad boy didn't release. We did ourselves. So, and that 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 record was produced by Mike Klink. Yeah. And it was mixed, mixed by, by Jack, Jack Joseph, Joseph Puig. Jack Joseph Puig. Again, yeah. Minor players big. in the music industry. Minor guys. Yeah, yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, um, if I if I'm correct, Mike Klink did something small called Appetite for Destruction. Um yep. yeah. he may have been involved in that in one way or another. <laughs> yeah. Every he also every recorded GNR. Eye of the Tiger. Oh okay. yeah. Mike <laughs> I did yeah. not know that. Say what you want, but oh, that yeah. was a huge song. And a bunch of Eddie Money, and he engineered two of my favorite UFO records. Sonically, you know, I still have the the, the CD, and I was yeah. listening to it. The actual CD, I mean, I you know, I, I downloaded everything from iTunes, and when I go running, I listen to music, and what have you, and I listen to it. I'm like, this is great. And then I put on the CD, which, of course, we all know is a little bit better fidelity, right? So I'm listening right. to it. I'm like, this album is done. This album's 20 years old, and it, sonically, it still holds up. You know, you can pick out everything, you know, everything that's happening, including that, that funky instrument. It's, it's called, uh, it's, uh, named after some guy called Riemann, right? They call it the Riemann, right? Oh, (laughs) that was, I'm uh, sorry. Was that Theremin? Uh, (laughs) 
the remix. The, nickna- yeah. the, the nickname for that for Jimmy's instrument was Uma. That was yeah. Uma Theremin. Yeah, called it Uma, Uma Theremin. Yeah. Oh, I forgot wait. about that. Wait, I got this. Yeah. I, I got this. There we go. All right. You're Uma. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that album holds up sonically so well. And well, you know, when you want a, your record to sound good, experience pays. Yeah, no, you got to go right. to. Hey, that's right. You know, we, wait, hold on. We left. That's right. We left him out. Ed Thacker was the engineer. And if you don't yeah. know Ed Thacker, again, I mean, born in the USA, uh, a lot of the uh, worked with George Harrison, right? A lot of people. Um, a lot I mean, of people. If, Look up Ed Thacker's name. That he's, guy's yeah, he's just one of those behind the scenes guys that ridiculous. You know, he captures he captures all those sounds to make everything, you know, so exactly. He tracked he tracked the record with us and Mike. Yeah. And what did we do? We tracked first at Rumbo Studios, at right? Rumbo, in Canoga yeah. Park. Canoga which is Park. where they did Appetite for Destruction. Yeah. And we did all the basic tracks there. And then we moved to a second studio in Encino called House of Blues. Yep. Uh, and you know the Imperial which, Drag record was done there oh, at cool. House of Blues. Mm-hmm. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, I that was a super that cool. Recently. That was a super cool studio. That was in who's uh, was one of the Jacksons, right? Jerry, Jackson, yeah, yeah, it was one of Jermaine or yeah, it was like who's Jermaine the guy Jackson's that owned house. It? Gary, what was his name? Fredo. The House of Blues. Fredo Jackson. No, no that's Bells. not a Jackson. Gar- Gary, Gary Bells. B e l z. He owned, uh, he was part owner of the Peabody Hotel in Memphis. Yep. So, yeah. Big. Wow. Okay. House of Blues. <laughs> and the House of oh, Blues. Oh, yeah. And like yeah. that house was amazing. And the yeah. studio was awesome. During like Halloween, I remember carving pumpkins with Mike Clink and his little kids and stuff. And they'll, yeah. They'll he would yell at us for watching uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off and stuff. And we'd be fucking, <laughs> you know, remember that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, All right. So shit. while we're on that topic, you know, the, my one of my great loves when I was in um, in the music industry, involved in management and some of the bands that are on my wall behind me, the greatest joy I got was watching them record and the stories that came out of it. So maybe each of you can give me one really funny or cool story from when you were recording that debut album, you know, working with all these hallowed names that, you, that you're talking about. Maybe each of you can share one really cool story from that from that time. For me, the, one of the most memorable things was um, having Susanna Hoffs come in and sing. That's what I was going to say, but I'll you tell your yeah. story and I'll tell mine. <laughs> yeah, Susanna Hoffs came in and sang. Uh, we had her do a little bit of uh, When It Stops Raining. She did a little background part on Ordinary and and um, Magpie. Ma- Magpie. And I, you know, I got freaking chicken skin when she was singing. It was just like, because she's like, one of my favorite female voices. And of course at that time, like the labels, like who's this, why are you getting someone from the bangles? I'm like, because she's awesome. And I was just like, I hear her voice on this. You know, when you hear something in your head, you just got to see if it works. And I knew it would. And sure enough, it was like, that was like sitting in rumbo, listening to her sing was just like, ah, you know, it was like, it was, it was amazing. So that's one of my favorite memories from doing the record. So let me just add on to that. So I remember um, she came in for the day. Um, um, and I just remember we were in the B room in Rumbo, which yeah. is where, uh, the appetite up, room. Where, where appetite for destruction was tracked. 
So I remember going in the the live room where the mics were set up, and I remember just strumming over the uh, the chords and going over some of the harmonies with yeah probably the four of us in the room. And I remember just looking over at Jimmy and just doing this, and she's looking at me while we're harmonizing. And it was one of those um, like I can't believe this is fucking. Happening. <laughs> yeah. We're just you know we're just douchebags from Long Island here on this <laughs> whatever and fucking like oh my god I can't like you know. And uh, yeah, and I, I remember, and then after kind of rehearsing the stuff and um, going in, in the control room and she was out there and I remember her saying, oh, um, you know, that her voice is blended good and I'm going to look at you and stuff. And I'm just like, this is like fucking not Yeah, happening. I remember doing that. I, I forgot. <laughs> yeah, it was one of I remember we sat in the room and went over the, and it's like, you're in the room and you're hearing that voice and just like, and when, when it was coming through the NS10s, you know, when it's coming through the speakers and you're like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember her saying also you know. she um and she was like she was a mom at the time I think because she yep. um she was, was fully small. Uh, um yeah she had kids I remember her saying she was driving in the car to the rehearsal and she was playing our cassette I think it was because we still had cassettes so she was listening to the songs that she was gonna sing and she was telling the, her kids she's like oh this is this is rock and roll whatever it's, yeah yeah the kids like what's that sound that? like with the guitar and he's like she's you like know, that's she, rock so and roll was, honey you know during yeah. the lunch break and everything and uh, you know and then I so that was ridiculous and then and then one other thing was when we had fucking Roger Manning come in and yeah and a couple things and we were all there's a picture of us up on the you know whatever Instagram so it's the four of us doing backing vocals on a song called Alien and I remember yeah. you know Roger having a bag of potato chips and uh we were like what the fuck is this you know so and he said yeah the he's like the greasier the potato chip you eat the better it it kind of lubes your, your your voice so you could just do the like, I remember that we'll set a harmonies and stuff and I was just like how fucking cool I just, I'm like yeah, and then and it was another pinch me thing because we're you know fucking jellyfish fans and he's singing back and vocals on our songs and he hung out the whole day and you know played yeah the funny thing about that is too again in the lunch room in the break room you know we're all sitting gathered around him looking at him like he's like a museum exhibit <laughs> we're just like <laughs> it was just yeah, I was yeah. like okay we're probably freaking him out right now mm -hmm. you know because it's like Roger Manning's in our studio yeah. you know yeah well, it was crazy yeah what about you jay yeah well i was uh i was geared up for the uh roger manning story too but uh that's okay there are other great uh guest stories too we also had luis conti play percussion yes on, conti, uh, yeah. on some stuff that was amazing he had great stories that guy's like you know again uh total veteran played with you know phil collins like everybody played with i asked everybody. him what his first uh, song he was on and he's like rock the boat i'm like the use corporation rock the boat he's like yeah man i'm, yeah. A, I'm even in the videos it's like damn like that's like you know that is street cred amazing. beyond street cred that's awesome yeah he yeah he was great that was amazing uh having him come in the studio um and again yeah what you know i remember going into we were talking to, who did we, we went to see someone play live and Jack Joseph met us at a club. And at the time, I think he had like just worked on the tonic record, which is an right. amazing sounding record. Yeah, that's a great sounding sound drums and stuff. And we had gone down to the room in Ocean Way and stuff and, and seen that amazing room that, that he had. I mean, yeah, no, we were blessed. We, we got to work with a lot of, a lot of amazing people, but 
Yeah, the whole thing was really like Mark said was a pinch me moment. The whole thing was a pinch me moment. And and if you think about it, all of it came down to us stepping in shit, like uh, getting signed to Bad Boy, having that you know that puffy money to like go get whoever you want. Oh, totally. We wouldn't have had that opportunity had had we not been on fucking Bad Boy and Puffy to pick a guy like Clink. Who was able to be like, okay, you want her to sing on this? Bang, got her, got Luis Conti, got. Yeah. It, he just called cool. people. He had cool. a he had a Rolodex. Yeah, you know, it was just at, so, you know. At one point, Mike, we had like we we're talking about tracking in the B room, which is where they track the drums for Appetite Destru- for Destruction. But we tracked some of our drums. I think maybe all the drums in the A room, which all was the drums are tracked in the A room, bigger yeah. room. Right. And at one point, like I had two drum sets set up in two different locations for two different sounds, like a, just, you know, a dozen snare drums. Uh, this guy, Je- um, Jeff Jonas, Jeff Jonas, who had a, had a company called, I think drum paradise. He ended up being Ringo's tech. He brought in a kit because we were talking about like the sound we wanted to get for Don't Let It Get You Down. It was like, okay, well, I'll bring in a 1965 set of Ludwigs that like Jim Keltner played for Traveling Wilburys or something And Ringo played on it too. And and Ringo played on it. So like I had like, yeah, like two drum sets set up at once. Yeah, it, it was ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. It was awesome. And And we had Jimmy Haskell do string arrangements. And if you look up the name, Jimmy Haskell, Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. That guy's done um, insane stuff in the sixties. Exactly. And all this was, was because of my clink. Cause my, my clink was just like, okay, I'm going to, you know, it was all through, you know, really all you want strings. Okay. I know the guy to call. And it was freaking Jimmy. Jimmy Haskell had like a hit song in the sixties too. Yeah. And he did yeah. string arrangements for everybody. So you yeah. had all these crazy people, you know, it was, yeah. it was, really cool you know bands out there would kill to have the opportunity to have worked with one of the people that you guys work with all on one yeah, totally you know that's that's completely crazy but i would be totally remiss if i didn't bring up the opportunity that you guys had well two of you guys had from what i understand uh to play and share the stage with jimmy page and slash that was three of them actually. Cinderella moment. Yeah. Well, well two, two of two us here. on the podcast. You know, Brett, yeah, was, Brett was there as well. Yeah. And I know that, but I know Jim that that you were uh, off on on location uh, uh, doing something else at that point. But uh, I, I, nobody would pay for me to fly me out there. So <laughs> that's what it come down to. The, I asked my manager, and who's a, who was a who was a dick, and he's like, I can't I can't get you the money, baby. I, I would have driven, it. dude. <laughs> I had no money. I was broke. I really, I wanted to be there too, but. Oh, that's you know, the plus, other thing. Anybody who's listening that ever thought that like you hear about all the great people that these guys worked with and you hear about like all the great production and you hear about all this stuff. You know what? The, the money was definitely left on the field. It wasn't left in their pockets. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not Most all definitely. fun. It's not all riches and glory. You know, you're better off. Like, like Jim said, having a fantastic song be picked up for, for a jingle every year and living off yeah. that than trying to make it as a band because you'll get longevity yeah. out of a really yeah. cool tune. I mean, you know, how many times do, do we listen to things these days and you hear like, Oh, they, they've used, you know, see me, feel me by the who 90,000 times in 20,000 commercials for like fucking big pharma, you know, <laughs> yeah, Th- that's really what yeah, it boils down to too. Right. 
you yeah, know, those people don't need the money, but, but sure. you know, these guys had, you know, class A producers and engineers and, and, and tons of, of, of equipment that they were able to use. And, you know, they're like, well, I can't afford in and out burger. So, you know, I can't go yeah. play on stage with Jimmy page, but that's a complete aside. So right. Jason and Mark, you both were there. What was that experience like? Now, let me just set the stage. This is net aid. Okay. This is going back. I believe it's 1999. Is that right? It was actually, yep. it was actually October 9th. It was my birthday. Oh, so I, I turned 30 that night. Yeah. It was my birthday. Wow. Was, wow. Okay. So that. 1999, if I have the year correct, October 9th, 1999, uh, playing on stage. <laughs> there you go. Jay has his pass that he's showing all of us right now. And it's his talent, but it, that's a, that's a misnomer for Jay. So <laughs> they um, gave it to me. Any, they gave it to me anyway. They gave it to him anyway. <laughs> uh, and you guys played, was it, was it two songs or was it more that you had played with them? It was cashmere well, with Jay page and uh, it's all about the Benjamins with slash. But cashmere was, was an interpolation essentially. Cause it was come with me by Puff Daddy, which is what he was called at the time, which was on the Godzilla soundtrack that you guys were on with the song Out There. So you're both uh, on that soundtrack. So it was- And also our our buddy Paul Logos was on the stage with us too. Jimmy Page had given him one of those uh, dad-gad tuning guitars and stuff. So he actually played on the track. He played on stage with us for that song. Oh, he was the guy that was all the way at uh, stage stage left over there? So that's what I was gonna say. You got got to mention Paul. So because Paul- is helped facilitate this experience. Absolutely. Paul was, was a bad boy. Like, like, um, he was, he was like engineer um, for bad boy kind of Yeah, house engineer. Thanks. That's what I was trying to say. Yep. Yeah. Right. He Makes was like sense. staff engineer for bad boy records and he worked on a ton of stuff. Like anything that was coming out of, uh, daddy's house, which was right. Puffy studio at that time. It was him and another guy. What was Michael's last name? I'm sorry. My, uh, Mike, uh, Oh, he lives so here now he's too. A, Damn it! He's a great engineer, and he's worked on a million things. And he, he's quick like shout out: work mixes for Beck now, and yeah, yeah. amazing. Mike, Mike and it, uh, begins with a P. Mike Patterson. Mike, Mike Patterson. Patterson. Mike Patterson. Sorry, Old Mike. Name. Tough name. And uh, Sorry, yeah. I know. And uh, quick shout out to Dave Dominguez too, who worked at, with us at uh, Rumbo. Rumbo also yeah. went on to have another career. He's an amazing guy. And uh, an amazing engineer. But anyway, yeah, he worked on the, we recorded that POD record, that first POD record and lots of, yeah, we worked with a lot awesome. of great people, you know? Right. He was so. coming up at the time, but yeah. amazing. So anyway, Paul, uh, you know, it came about that Jimmy Page and Puffy were going to collaborate on this track, come with me, cashmere, whatever for the Godzilla soundtrack. So Paul Logos who's a rock guy and a guitarist in his own right. Great, you know, great guitarist. He ends up on the project mixing and put it and recording. I think, right. He recorded it too. Yeah. The cat, the, the come with me single that's on Godzilla. They do a big push for it. Of course, you know, with the movie and the whole soundtrack was kind of a big deal. Had a lot of major bands on it. Puffy says, all right, cool, I'll, I'll do this because, again, it's a Sony project and, it, you know, they have their own label. And Puffy's like, yeah, I'll, I'll do it and uh, why don't you put my new band on it too? And they're like, well, and he's like, do it. <laughs> so yeah, we, end yeah. up on, we end up on the Godzilla soundtrack as well. Now, as NetAid comes, uh, comes about, Puffy's kind of like on fire at that moment. I think that's just after... 
Biggie's death, right? Because he that's just a couple with of years. The, that was after that was after the whole yeah, that was, yeah, thing blew up. So he's an artist, right? I mean, so Puffy's yeah. an artist at that point. He's gonna, you know, be one of the major acts at this gigantic net aid thing. He wants Jimmy Page to come out on stage with him. And Paul Logan says, Well, hey, you're gonna need a backup band too, like a drummer, a bass player. You know, you can't just play cashmere, come with me with, you know, without a band. So that's how we got that's how we got that gig. And yeah, we we didn't intentionally not include Jimmy. And it should be said, neither did Paul. You know, Paul was yeah. like, You gotta get Fuzzbubble. The logistics right. of that ended up to be something else. But yeah, I was as here. it turned out, Mark and Brett and myself, uh, we went into the city too. I forget where it was, but we actually rehearsed. It was an SIR. Yeah, it was fucking SIR. Stupid. I mean, we rehearsed one day with Jimmy Page, and I remember his tech being in there and seeing his guitars, and I felt so inadequate. Like I sh- we should, I shouldn't have been there playing the song with him because I'm like, I, you know, right? You know, and I wasn't even playing the song, and the dad got tuning. I was just kind of, it was, you know, it. I really, it was almost uncomfortable. I, you know, pl- looking over right. at him, smiling at you. It shouldn't have been the slash thing, and we and the slash thing was another day. Slash thing was much more comfortable because he was just such a cool, down earth guy, and he's a different level than Jimmy Page is. Like you know, it, it's so you know so different, but, you know. But Slash was just like he was just a cool guy, and I remember actually him. I was showing him the chords and stuff. I'm like, and this was another thing. I'm like, I'm fucking showing him because he listened to the song, but he's just kind of watching the progression and stuff. He's like, all right, I got it and stuff. And I was like, this is just crazy. But he was fucking cool as shit. And even at the giant stadium, like, you know, he was like taking pictures of my mom. Like he was, he was just such a regular, like, just a easy going, cool guy and stuff. It was, you know. Paige was super cool, but our interaction was, cool was well, limited. It, yeah. It was just one of those things where like, I, I didn't feel like I needed to be there. Like I, I shouldn't, I don't belong. <laughs> right. like, yeah. Like, you walk, you know, it's like you're walking amongst the gods there. No, exactly. It's like, you know, I, yeah. I, it's cool to watch it. And I'm like, holy shit. I was on stage with this guy, but I'm like, I mean, I don't, I don't know how the fuck. Although, when I think about it, Jimmy, you were at, you were at the studio when we met him though, right? Where I was, were? I was at, the, I was, cause he came up while I were mixing and we yeah. all got a picture together yeah. and, Oh, exactly. you're new lads, eh? You know, it was like oh, yeah. Jimmy Page. But that was brief. Like, you guys actually got to play with him. Like, I probably yeah. should have just put it on a credit card and flew out. But, you know, I was so pissed off at our manager because he was such a... Yeah. And it was... That was at the tail end. It was right before they dropped us. Shit right was, before you know, they dropped us. No yeah. money, exactly. So there was no money going down. There, so it was, you know... Yeah. yeah. It was that a ridiculous was experience, end. though. Yeah. And you could see that... Uh, yeah. Sure. That is on YouTube. I don't know. All yeah. I hear in my head is like like a Billy like Billy Crudup's voice, you know, like. Oh, flight, let me tell you fl- something. Hold York, on, three hundred and ninety nine dollars. Yeah, Playing on stage with Jimmy Page, priceless. <laughs> well, let me let me right, tell you yeah. something. A- around that yeah. time, I I slightly resembled Billy Crudup, and that movie Almost Famous came out right as all this was going on. And I was like, you know, I've, I sat at the edge <laughs> on the ledge of a bridge many an evening around that time yeah. <laughs> because everything that was going on, I was just like, man, you got to be fucking kidding me. We're so close and yet yeah, so far that was away. The worst. <laughs> I don't know if Billy Crudup had a blonde streak. You know, you, you, you were. You don't know. You don't I, know. I don't know. And I can't attest to it. I can say That's that these right. fucking 
Imperial stouts are strong as shit. <laughs> He's getting all hammered. All right. So that was a bit about Fuzzbubble and cult stars from Mars going from 20 years ago to now. Their influences moving forward. But now it's time for the last two segments that we are used to having here on the show, which is this song sucks and discovered this song sucks. And the song that these young lads picked is a doozy. And I agree a hundred percent with it. However, the band is amazing. It's cheap trick. Okay. Mm. We love cheap trick Fuzzbubble and cult stars from Mars, obviously influenced by cheap trick, the whole power pop thing. The song that was chosen is off the Dream Police album from 1979. You can find this on Apple Tunes or, you know, Apple Music or on Spotify or what have you. I'm actually going to create a playlist of this song sucks and that'll pop on there and you can make your own decision on it. But the song that was chosen was something from that album called Gonna Raise Hell. And Gonna Raise Hell is a very long song. (laughs) It's it's. It's nine plus minutes long and it actually feels much longer (laughs) as you're listening to it. So before I get to my evisceration of this particular song and my opinions of this song, I'm going to leave it up to these guys to give their opinion as to why this song sucks. Now, let me preface this by saying cheap trick. If you're listening We would love to have you on the show and refute these objections to your song. You know, everybody in Cheap Trick, Robin, Rick, if you want to come on board, Bunny, if you're not too, you know, choking on cigarettes, please come on the show (laughs) and let's talk about why Gonna Raise Hell doesn't suck, but it does. Again, you'd be wrong, but I'm going to leave it to these guys to start off with why they feel this song sucks. So, Jim, why don't you start us off with this one? (sighs) Did everyone agree to this? Was this just my choice? You know what? This I think this was just your choice. I wasn't involved in this, and I'm a little hurt. Oh, <laughs> it's actually okay. it was, I was on the email. If Mark even knew about no, I know, it. I, it. It's my own fault for not responding to the email. So, but it, no, it's okay. I I I I back you guys on this, and I'll give my two cents. If it ahead. was my choice, it would be Secrets by Van Halen. But that's a whole different now story. You, now, now you're fucking crazy. See, now that's <laughs> that's a whole other fight for. I'm gonna take a plane over to fucking San Diego. That's. And, and, you know, gotcha. that's that's a whole different podcast, but you know what? That's a whole other podcast. So You'd just, also be wrong. So I no. that's okay. But let's get back to what we're talking about. Gotta okay, so for me, tell Jimmy, yeah, yeah. Th- that album sets the bar so high for songs that you know you, you saw Dream Police is the first song on it. It's amazing, it's epic, it's super catchy, it's got all that cool weird stuff in the middle of it. You know, right into uh, Tonight, you know, I mean, come on. You got all these great songs. And then you got that nine-minute dinosaur at the end of side one. It's just like, gonna raise hell, gonna raise hell. And it's nine minutes of that. And, like, there's a couple of cool guitar things in the middle of it. Right. You know, that are cool. You know, they kind of, they, it's just this weird. But you, but you know what you wonder, like. Was it um who who did that record? Was it um Tom Worman produced Tom Worman. it? So was it Tom Worman's idea to let that thing drag on for nine minutes, or was it Rick Nielsen pushing the fucking thing? I don't it, know, I, man. All right, I can actually give some color on this. I did some research on this song, and Bunny Carlos actually said, and there's something that ties into my complete objection to this song, why I don't like it. Okay. 
was that they said, you know, disco is getting big at the time. And they were thinking about doing a disco version of this song. And as opposed to doing oh a disco God. version, they just improvised five additional minutes onto the song. Oh my God. Yeah. And that, you know what? That's why this song sucks. That's why this song I, sucks. So that they I, I don't, about disco. so here's the thing. I don't, I don't hate this song, but it's, it's, it sounds like, yeah, it sounds like a meandering, unfinished idea. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, the song, I mean, because Robin Zander, like, he even sings good in it. Fucking great the way he's right. singing and screaming. You know, he could sing anything and it's great, but it's, it. you know, if it was edited to fucking three and a half minutes, yeah. it would have been okay. Yeah. I, I get you. Yeah, totally. And, and the fucking crazy thing is, What's even crazier is they continued to play this song live throughout the year. Yes, I know. They, they, they yes. did it the crowd favorite. The fucking, and they would do the fucking entire version. Yeah. Because like, some somebody's girlfriend was like, you know what song I really like? You know, in the band. <laughs> that's probably what happened. Hell? Yeah. Yeah. God. I don't know. I'm making that up. But. They recognize that during a show, somebody has to go to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's so a bathroom like, song for the show. Let's just play this one, you know, because it's yep. a long line. We usually bring a pretty yep. decent crowd. Let's just play yep. this song. In the, in, in the book, you know what these these longs that they're called uh, uh, t-shirt songs and stuff with the long bullshit songs. Eddie Van Halen said that people go out and get buy t-shirts exactly. during these fucking kind of like songs. secrets. Yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't want to fight you with this one. No, come on, we're sticking to this one. Stop. Okay, so so yeah, so you know what. It, come on this the little di snippet about it disco? this is 40 years old this shirt look, i'm gonna come and fight you up. look there's there's a million van halen songs and one that sucks that's no, pretty no. good <laughs> no 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 not not any dave song sucks I'm do you sorry. really I'm, really that's think that song sucks or are you just trying to piss me off no i, I well all right no, you know no hold on let me jump in i'll, I'll say this when i was describing <laughs> when 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 Mike was describing the podcast, I go, yeah, just put an email together to the guys. I go, you know, here are their email addresses. Just explain to them like what the shtick is and stuff. And he goes, yeah, you know, whatever. And this song sucks. And he goes, um, you know, like I did like secrets. I'm like, oh yeah. I'm like, don't, maybe don't put that in the email. <laughs> so well, no. He, All right. Wait, you never that. actually said that because then I listened to the podcast afterwards and Jim's like, this oh, is that's my right. favorite Van Halen song. And I'm like, Oh, exactly. That's oh. the ironic thing. We just talked about exactly. It. It's, it's that's right. Maybe, maybe like, oh, I, it's my favorite Van Halen. Maybe song. I thought it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I might have thought it. Yeah, the yeah. words never actually came out of your mouth in that regard. Mm. So, oops. It's okay because Sorry. I'm right. I'm on the right side of history on this one. You know, I, and I Clearly. always will be. But you know, <laughs> I'd agree with you. But then I would be wrong too. So there you go. <laughs> but but let's get back to Cheap Trick and this particular song, because this song does suck for a lot of reasons. And and here's here's what I get out of it. And let me know if, what you guys think. When I found out about the whole Bunny Carlo saying that this was going to be like a there, there was going to be a disco version after I had this thought. When I first heard the song and that's when Jim brought it up, I don't ever remember listening to this song, probably because I skipped over it. You know, every time I listen to that album, and I love Cheap Trick, yeah. um, but when I heard so, that song, so we, by the way, when I actually when I actually heard that song, my first thought was I was made for loving you by Kiss, and oh, they really? both came out the same year. 
it sounds yeah. like a slower version, like a slower preamble to that song. It's almost like their equivalent. They both came out the same year. They both came yeah. out the same time as disco did. They had the thought of it being a disco song. So obviously yeah, there's some tie in. The only thing is I was made for loving you was a total intentional disco yes. attack. Yes. And, and going to race hell. You could kind of hear bunnies drumming. Like I could see what you mean with the, with the disco uh, I had and the and the leg, yeah. you know, but um, four yeah. on the floor, yeah, yeah, the four on the floor thing, you know, but yeah, yeah, I, I get you though, yeah, yeah. And, and, back and in it, those it, days, so, they should have fucking, they should have really, um, you know, uh, gave it a treatment, a disco treatment. Then if they were gonna fucking go at it, like the Stones gave. Oh, oh, oh Mark disappeared. Oh, he pushed the wrong button. We've lost Mark. <laughs> His power went out. What the hell happened? I didn't kick anybody Rick, off. All right. So Rick, I said, I'm now. not saying you. I said the mother, the space motherfuckers where we're connected Rick, to whatever. You know what it was? It was Bunny Carlos. Probably. Some fucking, fucking no, it was some man. disco fucking It was disco the God shit. saying, stop talking about our song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just really so, weird. It was just like, you were mid something like, yeah, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> See, the disco thing, like, I guess that's the first thing about me that bugs the song is that four in the floor drum beat that doesn't end. And I didn't right. even think disco because I, whenever I heard that beat back in the day when bands did that, uh, I just like, why are they putting a disco beat in their song? But it didn't, I didn't, I just thought the song was just rambling and boring and it's just like, wow. But the fact that they recorded it with the intentions of it being disco now yeah. I can unequivocally say that fucking song sucks. Right. Just for the bad intention of recording as disco. Yeah, yeah. and I never thought, until you mentioned that now, I never saw the connection, but I, I get it now. You know, I never knew that. Yeah. So yeah, that song and, sucks. Man. And again, we love Cheap Trick. Yeah. And we love that album. So that's why that yeah, song is again. even more offensive. <laughs> Well, that's it. Just throws the shade point. on that album, which is just such a brilliant album. That is the so. whole premise of this song. Sucks. Right. It's an amazing exactly. band, and not every exactly. song they put out is a ten, and not every song they put out is a three. Yeah. You know? yeah. Right. Right. So, oh no, the the winner of all time so far is still Mother by the Police. Oh yeah, oh, that's, aw that's awful. Awful. You know, you. I don't know that song. I hate to say I don't know that song. It's on synchronicity. It's fucking listen. I, it's unbelievable. It's so yeah. bad. I know, Jim. I know you hate it. And every yeah. every single guest I've had, and that was on the very first episode. Every guest I've had has referenced Absolutely. that song. Mother by the Police is the absolute. It's unbelievable. It, Why it, they fucking let him have? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our theory, the theory, the working theory is: well, we can have eleven songs on this album, and Sting has written well, about ten of them. So yeah. let let and we're breaking up. So let Andy. <laughs> well, have it's his the song. it's the height of exactly, it's yeah, yeah it's the height yeah. it's synchronicity it's the height of all that shit. So you know, Copeland and Summers are like, how come we don't get songs? So Stuart Copeland gets Miss Gradenko. Right. That's his single. Yeah, that, I mean, yeah. that's, that's so, was the fight the whole time. They were it's okay. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Andy Summers purposely was like, oh, I get a song? Cool. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, guess what? I'm great, beautiful new carpet and furniture. I'm going to shit right on this couch. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I think that was. And meanwhile, yeah. Sting, Sting is standing there. Know. Sting is standing there, arm outstretched, going, this is why I don't let you write songs. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yep. 
So, so, but anyway, so yeah, th- this song sucks. Definitely, I agree, and and we definitely all give a big thumbs down to "Gonna Raise Hell" by Cheap Trick from the album Dream Police. Because again, for numerous reasons, but the top reasons are if you compare it to everything else on that album, it definitively yeah. sucks. It was yeah. thought of as being a disco remix. That makes it suck. My opinion is yeah. this is like, you know, obviously in the same vein of Kisses, I Was Made For Loving You, which actually is a better song. And uh, it's a better song. I was going to pick that one, but Gonna Raise Hell is worse. It is worse. So, and it it's, is definitely And worse. it's nine minutes long. Yeah. And yeah. the drumming. And it's nine minutes long. The drumming is actually better on I Was Made For Loving You. Anton Fig did a great job on that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, and they yeah. actually did, they did like an eight minute disco remix uh, of that song, too, which they played at Studio 54, it's, you know, which is great. I yeah. think that's a great fucking song. I mean, you could do coke to that song, song in the late 70s song. quite easily. You know, that was yeah. that was simple. That was simple yeah. to yeah. have happen. So I think we all agree. I think Ronald. Reagan did. Ronald Reagan. We cannot, cannot confirm nor deny. At studio I don't know. I'm just I saying. So. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. you don't know. That's. I'm just saying. You don't know. But, I don't know. But we can all. We can all agree that this <laughs> song sucks. That's for sure. Thank yeah. you. Great. Okay. Moving yeah. on to our very last segment, and that. Is- all right. Give us your keys first. <laughs> I'm, I live at home. I live in my apartment. I'm not driving anywhere. I'm driving to my okay, bedroom, which is about 20 feet away. So, uh, which doubles as my, you know, fucking office occasionally. Anyway, um, mm. so this uh, this song sucks. We're done with discovered. The premise behind discovered for those that need a reminder is there are songs that are good. There are songs that are great. There are songs that are pretty good. There are songs that are not so good. But there are cover versions of those songs that completely outweigh and outshine the original version. And that's what I want to bring to light. And that's partially why this podcast is called Music Cover to Covered. But this episode, you guys picked a doozy as well. And and I think everybody would agree except one person. And the one person is the guy who wrote the song initially. And that's Blinded by the Light, which was originally recorded by Bruce Springsteen and then covered by Manfred Mann. Now, for a million years, I didn't even know that Bruce Springsteen had written this song. Okay, because the only version I had ever heard was the Manfred Mann version. You know, all keyboard. It's like keyboards, bass and drums. I don't even know if there's a guitar on that song there is a seven minute guitar oh, solo in it. it's a killer guitar solo because that billa 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 sounds like keyboard to me too because it's too it's, even it's guitar it's guitar and keyboard All right. yeah. then they have really Actually. good compression i was i've listened to it a lot over the past week just to you know remind myself of the song and i'm like i always thought it was a guitar solo i'm like wait a minute this sounds like it's too even it sounds like it's probably a keyboard yeah. solo. This, this guitar on the track also on the. Uh, it's you know, actually the more yeah. guitar in the the mix of it is more guitar than keyboard actually. But if mm-hmm. you look at the them playing it on Midnight Special, mm-hmm. it's a guitar player playing it. Okay. And not keyboard yeah. at all. So getting back to it, so Blinded by the Light, Manfred Mann definitely eclipses the Bruce Springsteen version. When I went back and I was listening to this over the past week, just trying to re-familiarize myself with the Bruce Springsteen version, my first initial reaction listening to it was, is this a Dave Matthews song? That was, and I know that Dave Matthews came out 25 years after Bruce did, but that's what it sounded like. And then as the song went on, 
it just sounds like a confused, like it was every instrument ever made put on one track, but it's a blur. Like there's nothing like nobody's matching up with one another. It's just crazy. So what do you, what, what's well, your, you know, what's funny. I'll, I'll give you a little story. I read, I did read up on this song and apparently that's like a, it's like a one take in the studio kind of jam. Like it, 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 it was never really fleshed out. They just did it and they left it. And uh, for real, the Springsteen version is that's what it is. Um, and I have insight as into, I've read some about the Banford man version as well. How, how they, cause they, they covered Springsteen and Dylan a, a bunch of times in, you know, the earth band did in their career. And, uh, apparently Manfred Mann had been messing with that song for quite a while. He liked it and was trying to do it. And finally he got to do it. I'm just amazed at how they arrived at their version from the Springsteen version. Cause that's why to me, it's the great, not only no, exactly. Greatest, it's, it's almost like a, they, it's a rewritten original. It's a rewritten, even to the lyrics that, you know, Absolutely. revved up like a deuce was not the original Springsteen lyric. Yeah. And they, uh, it's just, they own the song. It's like when you talk about, I think it's the greatest cover of a song ever. My runner up to this was the Bengals version of hazy shade of winter, which I think is way better than the Simon and Garfunkel. Version, I agree as well. Structurally the same. They right. just, you know, gave right. it some, they gave it some, balls, they gave it life. But, uh, yeah. They gave it life. Uh, the spray, the the Manfred Man is just, I mean, yeah, it's it's, it's own, a new it's song. Own, it's own song. It's own song. It's a the, new my song. My next door yeah. neighbor refers. He he says it's like a cosmic jam, and that's exactly when you listen to that. It's like totally out of space. You know, I call it progressive pop because it's definitely progressive rock, but it's done in a pop way. And yeah, I don't know if you you never listened to the long version, just the single version. Yeah, just just uh, the single version. I I haven't heard the oh, the, the long the, version the album is like this version, amazing yeah. guitar solo on it. It's seven seven minutes long. Wow, the the real version. Okay, of it. yeah, and I, they used to play the whole thing on rock radio back in the day, and then sometimes quite, they would play the single version quite a bit actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, we have a great. <laughs> so we have a great, and this is the, we'll segue into. Uh, this song, when the guys moved out to Los Angeles to to form to do Fuzz Bubble, you know, I was living out there. They all moved from Long Island. We would drive to rehearsal together, and sometimes we'd all usually go in all the same car. Sometimes we go and Mark had like a little. What was the car you had, uh, Mark? I think what it was. I forget. They gave a us white... a rental car. It was oh yeah, no, Mark's car. Mark's car was like a Geo, or was it a Geo? Uh, uh, oh fuck, I forget. It was a little white thing. Subaru. It was a little thing. white thing. We all used to pile in there. Sometimes we go in Jay's truck. Yeah. Sometimes we'd, and that song with K Earth was the oldie station. They played <laughs> 50s, 60s, 70s. Yeah. And we would get in that car and like that would, song would always come on the radio. And Brett would be like, God, enough with this song. It's on all the time. And Mark's like, <laughs> yeah. no, man, it's a great song. It's a great, and we'd turn it up. Like, I love it. Uh, I, I always love that song. Yeah. So, there was a period of time where Jimmy was living down in Hollywood and we were making the record and me, Brett and Mark were at a house on you guys had the Geo Metro. in Bel Air. And you talk about like the juxtaposition of seriously, like what you were saying before. So we had a house that was rented for us on Mulholland drive in Bel Air. 
beautiful house. And then they also gave us um, a Ford Aspire <laughs> as a rental car. <laughs> we used well, to call you- it the we used to call it the Expire because we thought we were going to die in it. Here is, here is your mansion and a Yugo. <clears throat> Yeah. yeah, totally. <laughs> so pretty much every afternoon we'd roll out of bed and go, you know, go down to the studio and <laughs> Mark and I would kind of admittedly like kind of like bully the driving. <laughs> so he'd be like, either Mark is driving or I'm driving. And Brett would be like, guys, I'll drive. We'd be like, yeah, yeah get in the back. Yeah, those, were the, those were the safer choices, me and Jay. <laughs> those were the safer choices. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, right. Brett. So. Yeah, it's true. He had some pretty thick glasses, and there yeah. were some windy roads coming out of Mulholland. A lot so, of windy roads. A lot of windy roads. So yeah, yeah, yeah. every morning, we would pretty much be like, every afternoon, uh, Mark will drive or I'll drive. And so we'd hop in the front seats, respectively. And we'd turn on the classic rock radio. And for Cares. a couple of months, yeah. it really seemed like that song just came on every time we got into the car. You'd like... Get into the car and be like, all right, sorry, let's get in. Yeah. Every day. It's like it came on with the ignition. I don't even think we, I think we kept the radio just on. And same station and it would just came on every day. And Brett would be like, God damn it. Enough already. Put something else on. And so it was like this electric blue, like neon blue. And the Aspire was like written in like pink script. Total 80s. <laughs> yeah. It was awful. And uh, yeah. And and so anyway, that be- that song became like a running joke. Um, so, right. so, so, but then... <laughs> this is you should say wait into, there's more but wait so, there's more so uh about five months ago after we started doing cult stars and started like you know let's not just be like a 60s influenced power pop band let's like let's do all the music we love let's bring it into the fold you know so that's why like when you listen to dragonfly part two there's keyboards on it and there's like Wurlitzer and you know it's like let's really go deep into what we love, you know, and not just be so specifically one thing because the fuzz bubble stuff was great, but it was all produced with that nineties mentality of, you know, Sonic youth is cool and Nirvana is cool and, you know, underproduced and weird guitars, but nothing else. So I said, let's, let's stretch out, you know, like, like what jellyfish did, you know, was take all those great seventies influences so anyway, I said, hey, guys, I have this idea. I want to do a cover of, I've always wanted to do it live with somebody because I thought seeing this do that live would be amazing. I want to do a cover of Blinded by the Light, but I want to, I want to get uh, Mike Portnoy to play drums on it. And I'm asking him to get Jeff Scott Soto to duet on the vocals with Mark. And then we'll find a cool keyboard player afterwards. So... Jay's like, that's a cool idea. And Mark's like, I, I want to sing it by myself. I'm like, no, I have this plan. Like, just hear me out. So uh, I said, okay. I, I asked Mike and Mike said, yeah, that sounds like a cool idea. I'll ask Jeff, but let's, let's get a rough version of it first. He goes, so how do you want to do this? He goes, usually when I do covers, I just play to the, re- the existing version of the song. I said, okay, let's, let me think about that. 
because you know we usually now of course we all record getting into recording uh the technological aspect of it we all record to a click track right you know you put your click you play to it that's normal now so i put that song on and tried to put it to a click and i'm like no man this song doesn't work to a click it ebbs and flows it's got all this beautiful and you know stuff that it's probably what is wrong with modern music now is because it's all recorded to one time, exactly, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's and very synthetic. So yep. it's very, and, yep. you know, and it's like, look, we're guilty of it too. It's just naturally what you do. You start the song at one tempo because back then they didn't have, they didn't really play it. Only disco was recorded to metronomes and then they would, they would cut sections of tape and make loops out of them. All those disco songs. But the, you know, the Manfred Mann, you know, Earth Band version was them recording it. So I, I sent it to Mike. I go, Mike, it just doesn't work to a click. Can you record it to the original? And he said, sure. So he did it. And, he, you know, a couple of spots he went off because the song really moves around. And that's the beauty of that song is that it does. When you get to that solo, it, it kind of eases up and kind of gets into this slow, spacey, pink, almost Pink Floyd-y type thing. <clears throat> So anyway, so Mike did it and then he sent it to Jeff and said, Hey, would you have any interest in doing, you know, duetting on this song, Blinded by the Light? You know, the and, and Jeff Scott Soto like replied in like 20 minutes and saw the email. He's like, he goes, I love that song I'm in, and I'm friends with the guy who sang it. So the guy, Chris Thompson, the original singer on the Manfred Mann version. He said, I want to send him the version when it's done just to hear me, because I've been friends with him for years, singing his song. So it took a while to do because I, I didn't really know who we were going to get to play keyboards. I did the keyboards on it originally. And yeah, you know, I felt like maybe we can get Roger Manning. Maybe we can get uh, Neil Morse. I was, you know, on Facebook looking at a post and I saw that Darian Sahanaja from the Brian Wilson band responded. I was like, you know, I haven't seen Darian. Darian was a friend of ours. He used to like the band. I, I met him in the power prop scene in, in, in LA when I first moved there. Yeah, we, we used and to play, like, we used to like hang out at clubs and, and bullshit with Darian. Like I remember vividly like outside either the whiskey or nice the guy. Yeah. Bullshitting with Darian. And he was playing with the wonderments at the time. I, yeah. Right? So I had the wonder, he had yeah. the wonder, so man, there's the guy to do this. Yeah. Let me reach out and ask. So, Hey, you know, Portnoy said, yes. Jeff Scott Soto said, yes, why not? We're going to ask. So he's like, he goes, is there a time, you know, are you guys have a, like a deadline? I'm like, no, we're just doing this. He says, okay. Cause I'm kind of in the middle of something right now, but I goes, I wasn't, I cause one of those songs, either you love it or you hate it thinking of Brett, you know, and how many times people have heard it on the radio. He goes, he goes, well, I don't hate it, but it's, it's, it's a big part of my youth. So yeah. And I, uh, you know, let me see what I can do. And you know, I had another guy from the Brian Wilson band in the Tiki orchestra for a while. I let him know about it. He goes, he goes, Oh yeah. Darian saying, let me see what I can do is basically him telling you prepare to have your mind blown. And sure enough, like he had, God, he has all the keyboards, the Rhodes, the Mellotron, the original the Hammond, the Moog, the whole thing. And he sent it back. I was like, oh, hallelujah. It was like amazing. He did an amazing job on it. And Darian's a great guy. I was like, can you do a video? He says, yeah, I can shoot some video. Because originally we weren't going to, I didn't know if I'd get a video out of it. And the, Jeff Scott Soda was the first guy saying, I'm assuming you want a video. So I'll shoot a video. So. Again, so I, you know, we finished the song. I got Mike's daughter, Melody, to do 
There's a little female vocal part at the end. Um, I said, Mike, you think she'd do it? He says, well, let me ask her. So Mike went off and did a record with somebody. Came back a couple months later, like Melody said she's in. She loves the song. She'll do it. Great. So I just got through vid- edit- editing the video. And to make things even better, I, I called Paul Logos, we talked about before, who's married to Carol Miller, from who was on WPLJ in the 70s, big radio DJ. I said, Ken, do you think you might be able to get her to do a little spoken intro for the video? And he says, yeah, but I want to master this because I love that song. I said, because he's a mastering engineer, does lots of records for people. I'm like, sure, if you want to do it, have at it. So the video now has Carol Miller doing a radio DJ intro to the song. It's the entire seven-minute version of the song. I play the guitar in it. Uh, Mark and Jeff Scott Soto go back and forth line by line, duetting and then harmonize. So it's like, and they all nailed it. it. I put some. Yeah. (laughs) All right. No, I said I play a tiny bit of guitar in it too. He, Mark, and Mark did did those first parts and stuff that are there. Right. Yeah. He did the, he played some guitar in it. So I, yeah, I play most of the guitar. I sing a little bit on it. I I sing a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Mark sang the, he sang the fuck out of it. And so did Jeff. I scripted it out and I sent it to Jeff and he's like, this is perfectly scripted. It's great. Cause like Mark sings the first verse, Jeff comes in, harmonizes, they go back and forth on the choruses and then back and forth on the rest of the verses. And it's, it's exactly how I heard it in my head. It's one of those things where you like go, if I that's what I was thinking. That, that's, <laughs> yeah. If I could get this guy and that guy, like I have this thing and it played out exactly it's well, I think, yeah, because, yeah, Mike, I remember the first time Jimmy saying, he's like, I want to do this. Everything that he said he wanted to happen pretty much happened. It's just, it's fucking so cool that it works. It's, and, really yeah. cool. and then when it was done, um, Jeff did send it to the original lead singer. This was super cool. Yeah. And, and he, he said, sent back an email saying, it sounds, the sounds are like legit. The sounds like, how did you guys do that? Yeah. So the original guy who sang on the song said, wow, it sounds so close to the original. How did you guys do that? And you so know, that what's was, funny. That was Carol cool. Miller. Uh, Paul called me and put Carol on the phone with me. And you know, you got to understand, you know, uh, because I'm ancient, Carol Miller was the DJ I used to listen to on PLJ. She was my favorite. So I was like, if I could get her and Paul's married to her. And I got on the phone with her and she said, you know, I actually, I like your version better than Manfred Mann's. I was just like, whoa, that's heavy. She said, I I think you guys did a better job. I'm like, wow. Well, it's, you know, 40 years later, but. Thank you, but no, so it's their version. That, they own the song. Is there a seven-minute guitar ver- guitar solo on this version? This the about it's about two and a half to three minutes yeah. of guitar solo. Great. You, okay, you I'll could, listen uh, to about half of it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're just wrapping it. That's gonna that so that's gonna be one of the next singles that comes out this. Yeah. Was that tying in with your? That's tying in with your next podcast that's coming that you guys are going to be recording in the next week or so after this podcast is recorded, right? Which again is going to tie in with the twentieth anniversary of the first of Fuzz the Fuzz Bubble album official release because you know, mm-hmm. there were there was more than one. There was there was the second one that came out about three years later, two or three years later. So. um you know, so that's awesome to tie all that together. And you guys are, you know, Jim, just to just to revisit that as we wind all this down, you're revisiting that album again to put it out digitally 
will you have a physical product? Not right now, only because there's not enough of an audience yet, you know, and physical, the thing with physical product is where you sell most of your physical product is at shows. So we're not really a band that's playing shows. If we got a bigger audience and I knew we could sell vinyl, I would love to do it. It's just, it's. Don't you yeah, think that think this podcast will at least make four listeners want to buy your CD or vinyl? Uh, no. Fuck you. <laughs> I, I, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. I, I you know, yeah, actually, yeah. nah, we won't be having that. I have to agree. I mean, like this podcast is going to be one of the least listened and I've been heard on six continents. So, you know, yeah, this episode actually could sink your podcast. It, it, it actually is. As we speak to tie it all up though, I just want to say thank you guys so much for hanging out with us today, hanging out with me today on music cover to covered. I hope you guys had fun. I hope the listener, <laughs> or listeners uh, are really enjoying this and anybody who is listening to this make sure you check us out and subscribe to the channel we're available on apple podcast we're available on uh we're available on spotify we're available on google podcast we're available on amazon music and all over the place everywhere everywhere that's all i'm saying all i know is that I had a great time interviewing a bunch of guys from Long Island that have the same sort of upbringing, upbringing as me, except for Jim, because he didn't have electricity for the longest time. So, um, <laughs> there's another guitar I'm getting, right? That's two, that's two guitars now? you're getting now. I want a 12 string now for that. Oh shit. All right. That's like double the strings. So you're asking for double the commitment. I don't know if I like that so much. Yeah, you doubly busted my balls about being Yes, old. and it's fun. Suck it. And and I'll buy you a burrito. I <laughs> promise you. that, and, and I'm going to fulfill that one. Mark, I'm going to be in New York December 16th to the 25th, and we should go have a brewski or something. When are you going to be? When? December 16th to the 25th. Awesome. That uh, means that you, up and you could uh, sleep on my couch if you want. Well, I'm staying at my mother's, but okay, thank you. Okay, uh, anyway, I'm in Wisconsin. Where's your mom? She's in South Setauket still, so we're all... Okay, I'm in Wisconsin, so we'll hook up for We're close. It's fine. I can cool. crawl home if really needed. Uh, yeah. Guys, thank you so much. I appreciate awesome. you doing this. Cult Stars from Mars, everybody. Make sure you check yeah. us out and check out all the links that are in our notes here. Make sure you check them out on Apple Music and YouTube and uh, Bandcamp and everything else. I'll have all the links in the notes. Thanks again. We'll talk to you next time.